Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another Draft Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined by Peter Flaherty once again, as always, on the show. Uh, what's going on, Peter? How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to, to talk through another group of players with you. It's kind of right in my wheelhouse with it being college heavy again. Um, and for those listening, I've got my like eyewash Adam Schefter background, (laughs) probably a hundred books. I've read maybe three, but I'm excited (laughs) to break. I'm excited to break guys down with you today. So whose books did you steal for your background there, Peter? (laughs) These are a combination. We've got a lot of them were gifts, like coffee table gifts that Mm. just made their way to the shelves. We've got a lot of, a lot of my dad's catalog and then like, a few of a few are my mom's, but they're the vast majority are my dad's. We uh, nice. We made sure to stack it whenever I'd hop on a Zoom meeting or a pod. I got one like game, one of these Game of Thrones coffee table books. That's like, did you watch Game of Thrones? Were you a Game of Thrones guy? I, I was not a Game of Thrones guy. So you're I not a, you're not a double down nerd like me with the baseball and the fantasy series. But either way, I had this like <laughs> coffee table of this like Game of Thrones book. It's like it's like a book with all this artwork. And I, <laughs> as soon as I moved in um, with my wife, I like put it on the table. She's like, "That's not going there," you know. I was like, mm, "What do you mean? It's cool." <laughs> so she was not having that. Oh man, yeah. No, I'm gonna have a similar, co- uh, probably, a conversation with my girlfriend when, um, when we likely move in together about like my Nintendo Switch. Oh, uh, that I'll, you're a uh, Switch guy, though, so you're, oh, yeah. you're at least a little, a, a little partial nerd. So we can we can get into this. Maybe we can test the patience of our listeners. But I I haven't <laughs> finished I haven't finished Tears of the Kingdom. And I'm, are you like a Zelda guy with your Switch or what are your, what are your Switch games? So I'm like a sneaky, like mindless gamer. I've alluded to oh, my wow. night owl tendencies a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just like rip like Mario Kart literally just by myself or like Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. And then on the PS5 that my little brother has, I'll just like, I'm a huge NHL guy. Like mm-hmm. NHL or FIFA. I don't know if I'd give a listener like my gamer tag, but um, <laughs> I'm so confident in the fact that I'd probably win. I wouldn't lose an NHL. I'm that's, very good at NHL. That's awesome. We always played FIFA in college, and I haven't played in years, but we we had like a scoreboard on our dorm board with like full win losses for each semester. We made a big <laughs> thing of it. That was definitely the college game of choice. And my other one that I've like not played in a while because it's it's just way too addicting. And the last like big console that I had was a PS4, and I'm just I'm not getting a PS5 because I I don't really want to play this much. But it was um warzone call of duty oh like, yeah me and my brother and some of our friends really played way too much of that game it was, it was, it was probably not great for me that was um, like fifa and nhl like those are such great like dorm games like yes i can't close the yearbook because i'm just like playing it by myself for the most part now <laughs> i'm really scared for the summer though when college football comes out because that's like i'm gonna lose i'm gonna burn so many hours playing that <laughs> i'm gonna take like um I'll probably win like eight national championships in a row with like <laughs> Sam Houston State. That is hilarious. All right. Well, it's good to know that you're a gamer, Peter. We have more uh, <laughs> more more Slack topic conversations for the future. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's nice to know. But let's let's move into some players 
get into the meat of the podcast. We are going to just keep working down our current draft board here, I believe, uh, and have a few names on deck. I think we're getting into the... I mean, you mentioned it earlier. These are like your wheelhouse. It's very college-heavy at the top of our board. We just have one high school player that we're scheduled to talk about today. Uh, but I guess let's just get into the players and, and talk about them then. The first guy we have up here is maybe one of the most famous players in the class. I would even like... I would say that Tommy White uh, at LSU is probably the most famous. No, actually, that's not true. It's got to be Tommy White or Jack Caglione, who we're both. We're going to talk about both these players back to back. We may as well lump them into the same kind of conversation, and I'll let you kind of go whatever direction you want. But Tommy White is number six on our board. Obviously, one of the preeminent sluggers of college baseball. He had an unbelievable year at North Carolina State. Hit 27 home runs. Entered the transfer portal, went to LSU, did more of the same there last year. 24 home runs, just a, a physical beast, a ton of power, like a, just like a, a, I don't know if like iconic is fair enough, but like a very prominent college baseball slugger who's now got a ring under his belt. And yeah, I mean, he does a lot. Where, where do you want to go with Tommy White? And, and if you want to lump Jack Caglione into the same conversation, I think there are enough similarities that it could be interesting to. And the fact that they're also like two of the most famous in college baseball this year is kind of fun as well. Yeah. I was going to say the only one like brand wise that can compete with Tommy white is probably Caglione. And like, I'll stick, we can stick with the hitter version of Caglione, like for the sake Mm -hmm. of the conversation, but with Tommy white, you, you, you alluded to it. Super, super physical kid at six foot, 242 pounds, like very thick. Like it's not, I mean, it, it, again, just he's he's raked his entire college career, hit 362 at NC State, and then at LSU probably had his – I mean, he had his most productive college season to date with, you know, he had 374 with 48 extra base hits, 105 RBIs. I think what's striking about him is it's easy plus power to all fields, borderline double plus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick a seven on it quite yet. Um, and the bat-to-ball skills are also – I'd say pretty advanced. It's an 87% in zone contact rate. Um, and it's actually, it's better against spin and zone than it is against fastballs. It was 92% against sliders last year, 91% against changeups. Um, it, the ability, I think, to drive the ball to the opposite field and in the right center gap is what set him apart. Both imbe- like from the jump at NC State, was like even on opening weekend, I think it was against NJIT where he had, um, five home runs, I think three or four were to the opposite field. Um, super loose and whippy hands, like uh, immense strength in his forearms and wrists. Um, and what he's done this year, or what he did last year was with two strikes, he, he really widened his base, um, where it was almost like his back foot was at the back of the batter's box and his front foot was at the front, like super, super wide and just let his hands and natural strength work. And Mm -hmm. it really played in his favor was still able to drive the baseball. I mean, there were times where he would no stride and hit balls out of the park, drive it to the opposite field. Um, And I think that the only question with him is like the defense, like at third, he held his own this year, I'd say for LSU. Um, But I think that long-term professionally um, he might slide over to first base where like, I think that the offensive production though is going to negate, maybe the defensive limitations 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think that eventually, regardless of where he plays positionally, whether it's third base, first base, if he ends up being mostly a DH guy, I think he's going to hit his way eventually to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, Tommy White is a fascinating player. His spray chart is is kind of a work of art, like you mentioned. His ability to use the opposite field for power in-game is is pretty impressive. I remember watching him as a high school player and the raw power just being so obvious with him. He takes just massive hacks and is looking to do damage constantly. The fact that he's been as good of a, a pure hitter as he is in college baseball um, definitely exceeded my expectations for just the hit tool. Um, given my my first impression with him in high school, the the one question I, I agree with you defensively. I think he's probably a, a fine college third baseman, but in pro ball, I would be a little bit concerned about the game speeding up a, a little bit too much on him. Like, how does that body develop um, over the next few years? I can't imagine he'll get significantly quicker or faster. I think he's fine there in college. I, I think he probably is most likely to play first base. Um, the one question I have with him offensively, and, and this is the same question I have with Jack Caglione, who we can get into at any point here, really, is is the chase rate. Both of these guys chase at an extremely high rate um, over his first two years in college baseball. It's a 41% chase rate for Tommy White, so he's out of the zone quite a bit. I think, I mean, clearly given his production, he's been able to get away with that and, and be one of the best hitters in college baseball. I do wonder, like, with a wood bat against better pitching at the next level, is that something that will be taken advantage of? Will he be able to rein it in a little bit in terms of his swing decisions? Uh, or is he going to be a guy who just has that sort of unique ability to cover all these areas in and outside of the zone and still do damage? Like, that feels like a, a kind of sketchy offensive approach at the next level. Uh, and I am curious, like that, that's my one offensive question with him. Like your comments about his end zone contact rate is, is extremely impressive. Like the fact that he made contact with sliders, um, at such a strong rate, I think speaks to the bat to ball skills. Um, so I would, I would say entering this year, I would like to see him maybe just get a little more selective, boost that walk rate up. Like a guy with his power, I think in college should be walking more, than 10% uh, of the time. So I would like to see that increase a little bit. Like if he can pull off a, a Brock Wilkin and shoot the walk right up and he really doesn't strike out that much at all. Like I don't have any qualms with just the overall swing and miss. It's more just like the, the selectivity or lack thereof offensively is what I would be most concerned with um, for a player who's definitely going to be on the corner and it's going to be high pressure on the bat to perform, but there's no doubting the power I think both for for White and Caglione, they have just monstrous raw power. Um, But yeah, any other comments on White there, Peter? Yeah, you brought up the only kind of red flag, not necessarily red flag, but kind of hole that I had um, in his game and offensive approach, or yeah, was the the chase rate. This year it was 40%. He was particularly susceptible to spin. He really expanded the zone against, you know, off-speed and change-ups. Um, and I narrowed it down or, or only focused on two strikes and his chase rate with two strikes was 61%. Um, and against spin against sliders in particular, 67% and 63% against changeups. And I think again, like the bat to ball skills are plus, um, at the very least above average in the, in the field for the barrel is exceptional. I, I mean, he goes up into the box and, and just watch him play. He wants to hit, like he doesn't want to walk. He doesn't want to, you know, I mean, he's up there swinging. And so I think that 
again, you can look at the production and what he's done so far, um, what he's done in the SEC and the ACC against top of the line pitching. Um, I wouldn't be like, it's not something that I'm overly concerned about, but it's definitely something where like this year, I think at LSU, I'd like to see the walk rate go up a little bit um, for him to be more patient, a little less, I'd say aggressive, but again, that, that aggressiveness and that like willingness to jump on the first pitch or, you know, not take pitches and not look at strikes. I think that also is what makes him so good. So um, I'd say like, again, it's going to be very interesting to follow, but um, the, I'm with um, you where like, at least professionally that, that could get exposed a little bit. Yeah. The, the other thing that's interesting about Tommy White is the spread out stance. You mentioned the two strike adjustment is, is that something that LSU specifically is is teaching their hitters? Because Dylan Cruz did that as well with two strikes. I've heard from some scouts who who mentioned that LSU just like teaches their hitters that it's it's definitely a bit unusual. But I think with both Cruz and White, they have such strength in in their lower and their upper half in their hands that that it, it can work for them. Like they're able to put themselves in position to make contact and still do damage. Like they don't really need to have a lot of movement in the lower half to drive the ball with authority. So that's kind of just a, an interesting little wrinkle that I'm curious if, if if Tommy White did that with State a year ago or if that's something that he kind of added to his game in Baton Rouge. That's a good question, and I honestly should have looked at it. But like you said, LSU, you know, lineup-wise, had that murderer's row of Cruz, White, um, Trey Morgan. You could even throw, like, Gavin Dugas and Cade Beloso in there and others. Like, they would go – you know, six or seven deep with really good hitters. There's a, you know, Josh Pearson's another guy who never goes with a stride. I mean, they certainly, mm. I mean, it's a good question as to whether or not they teach it, but um, yeah, there were certainly like the players that they had at their disposal, um, especially Cruz, White, and Morgan with those above average bat to ball skills, um, they can consistently move the baseball. So I think that they were, yeah, you know, maximizing that ability. It would be kind of interesting to see how White is pitched and how he just handles being the main guy in the lineup next year. Because I imagine he's going to be that guy. Um, a little more pressure on him, maybe. Uh, I know scouts are always intrigued in how players handle that. Uh, I might be a little less so. Um, but it will be something, another fun dynamic to watch in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that this is like there will also be the opportunity for him, you know, to increase that walk rate, take a free base every now and again, because when kind of looking at this lineup and projecting it, he, he is going to be the headliner with the talent that they lost from last year. Um, you know, they did bring in uh, their handful of transfers as well, but he is going to be the headliner and the guy I think to, to pitch around. All right. Well, let's move on to Jack Caglione. Um, like we said, maybe one of the other most famous players in this class, left-handed pitcher and first baseman for Florida, a Golden Spikes Award semifinalist. Um, tremendous year, led the country with 33 home runs, also was a weekend starter, posted a 4.34 ERA, has tremendous raw power, has tremendous arm strength. Um, but for me, I have some questions about just the polish overall to the game. Uh, I imagine on on some other lists, Jack will be higher, maybe even like the number one player in the class for some people. Um, Jack is maybe like the biggest pure upside in this class. If everything clicks, he would at least be in like the very short list of players in my mind, just given his power, given his arm strength, just given the two-way ability. I'm curious if you like him better 
at the next level as a pitcher or as a hitter and just overall thoughts on the profile with Jack? Yeah, like with Caglione, he's someone that I've gone back and forth with like so many, like very often um, because I think that while the talent and the upside is undeniable, he is maybe the most, I think like to the average fan, probably the most exciting player in college baseball or at least one of them. Um, but I think when you peel back the hood a little bit um, or peel back the layers, I think that there are some questions that I have. Like you said, it's double plus raw power, thunderous bat speed. The swing is tailored towards getting the ball up in the air. It's a little bit steep at times, but I think my biggest question is about the pure hit tool. Um, the pitch recognition skills from what I saw weren't unbelievable. Um, again, like Tommy White, the chase rate was super, super high, or I wouldn't say super, super high, but I would say super high. I think it, it was definitely was high. high. <laughs> um, and he was like susceptible to spin. And unlike white, the bat to ball skills um, aren't as on par. Um, but again, it's, I, I think it's 40 home run type upside at the yeah. professional level. So, I mean, with the way that the game is headed this in currently, um, I think that that's going to play, but Again, I think you're talking about, I think we can get into the two-way ability a little bit, but for me, he's pretty reliever-ish on the mound. The fastball is obviously the con card with it sitting 95 to 98, constantly touching 99. It was rumored that this fall he hit 101. Um, plays really well at the top of the zone. I actually, I kind of like his delivery a little bit. And again, the, from this fall, what I've heard is that he cleaned it up a little bit, made it more compact um obviously moves super well but it, the low 80 slider that he's got is pretty inconsistent it'll flash above average and he's interestingly enough shown decent enough feel for it at times and almost better feel than his fastball he'll really spray the fastball um and and kind of get into bouts with his command and command battles especially when he's starting so i think mm -hmm. that like long term you're looking at a def first baseman um defensively and then it, it so he will get the chance to pitch i think no matter who drafts him i think that the most recent comp to someone like caglione is probably like a reggie crawford maybe yeah, um i think it's an one. easy one with the with the big time velo from the left side um the raw power so i think he'll get a chance to pitch i just think it's a reliever high leverage reliever first baseman type but i think that the the tantalizing upside um great body and and that power is going to have him go I, I that's not going to slip for for very long and and the numbers he's going to post this year at florida um i'm sure will be very very impressive but i think that like you said with him at seven i know that it's almost crazy to say but i, I like some boards will probably have him at one i i personally wouldn't even have him at seven um mm -hmm. but again that's not going to it, you're you're only going to go so long with letting that slip and, and pass you by in the draft. Yeah, I, I have similar thoughts about Jack overall. Um, I do have questions about just the, the pure hit tool. He hit 322, 388, 735 this past year. Uh, the year before that, he hit 288, 339, 548. He's never had great strikeout to walk rates is about an 18 percent k rate for his career like five percent or less on the walk rate you mentioned the chase you mentioned the miss uh, watching him with usa baseball this summer 
like I was surprised at, at the swing itself. Like I know it's a, a lofty type swing. He's trying to put the ball in the air and hit for power, but it was almost like incredibly steep, surprisingly so. And the amount of swing and miss that I saw with him, it, it just like surprising that he hit this many home runs and has so much swing and miss and contact questions and, and just swing decision questions overall. Like I feel like relative to prospect status and uh, just like, I don't know if popularity is the right word, but notoriety in the college game. Like I probably have the most critical opinion on Jack just because some of these things in his profile that I'm really worried about translating over um, to pro ball. Like a guy who swings and misses this much and expands his zone this frequently, like it, it's going to be very hard to consistently perform. Um, so I honestly like, I would be very interested in what he looked like as a pitcher or a hitter if he wasn't trying to do both, uh, because I think there are a lot of there are a lot of places that he needs to improve on both sides of the ball, and it's just so hard to perfect your craft when you're working so much on both. Like, I, I don't want to use this as an, an analogy too frequently because I feel like it'd be easy to overuse it, but just looking at what Paul Skeens did when he put down the bat and how much he improved as a pitcher, it, it's kind of shocking. And, and Paul Skeens entered the year, I think, as a more polished pitcher than than Caglione is now. But I, I do wonder, with, with his arm talent, the ability to throw as hard as he does, like, if he was only focused on pitching or if he was only focused on hitting, like how much better would he be in either area? And I'm really curious to see like how the two way thing works both next year with Florida in his draft year and in pro ball. Like he seems like the perfect guy to me that you would want to just like stop doing one or the other and just focus on hitting. I'm more optimistic that he will be able to find the zone more frequently as a pitcher than figure out how to make more contact. I just feel like it'd be easier to teach a little bit more command and control than to teach the hit tool. I just think it's so hard to teach someone how to hit. Um, but at the same time, he's got real carrying power. It's massive raw juice. He's the type of hitter who who can miss hit balls out of the park to all fields. So, I mean, he's a perplexing one to me. He's hard for me to figure out. I hope I can get more clarity in like how I view him as a player next year. And I'm really like intrigued to see the adjustments that that he makes or or doesn't make i think that'll help solidify like a lot of opinions for him yeah absolutely and you brought up a great point with like wrestling with like eliminating the two-way ability a little bit because it's like okay do we want to focus on hitting or do we want to focus on pitching and have you know this 70 grade borderline 80 grade power go to waste um 40 home run upside Mm. or do you want to have him put the or do you want to have him stop pitching where it's like okay you got a six-five lefty with premium velo, pretty clean arm stroke, really athletic on the mound, and a slider that, at least in my eyes, has shown flashes of being plus down the road. It's an interesting dilemma, and I think that um, it'll come down ultimately to whoever drafts him. But yeah, I it is I, it is weird because, like you said, whichever way, if you come down on one side, you're gonna feel like you're leaving a lot of talent just on the on the floor here, and. I feel like I'm more and more talking about making two-way guys focus on one side or the other. Like Bryce Eldridge is another guy. I'm like, just let him hit. So maybe I'm being a little bit of a party pooper uh, by doing that. But I just feel like it's so hard to be a legitimate two-way player. I I really don't think Otani existing just means we're going to have a lot of other legitimate two-way guys in pro ball. It's so hard. But again, at college, it's it's much more doable. Yeah, and it's a like you said, it's a it's almost 
like I think that when you're saying like how many guys do this at the big league level, sometimes like that really fits well, and other times I I, I roll my eyes just a little bit, at least with you know setups in the box and whatnot. But at the big league level, how many true, really good and effective two way players are there? And I I think that's a legitimate argument when talking about you know prospects and especially these college guys like Caglione. So it'll be interesting to figure out. I think from a draft strategy standpoint, like if you're gonna like if you're drafting, let's say in the you know first 10 picks, later half of like from pick five through nine or like in the middle of the first round, like do you go out and grab someone like, and we'll get into him later, like a Mike Sirota or one of these high school bats or like a Seaver King and then wait until round two and get one of the, in my mind, one of the biggest sleepers in the draft. Not sure how long he'll be a sleeper for, um, but like Cole Mathis, who I also think is, first baseman reliever type was really impressed with him this summer the data is exceptional he's obviously not the 6'5 lefty that Caglione is um but he's up to 96 on the mound with a curveball that's a plus pitch like do you just like get almost like a bargain Caglione like that's kind of the route I'd probably take um but again it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out yeah it definitely will be he's he's a fascinating player um not lacking for tools uh, we'll see what it looks like next year, but he'll he'll definitely have a ton of eyeballs at him. Florida's always a strong program, and uh, just given what he's, um, be a lot of people watching. So hopefully he can sharpen up some of these areas that we're maybe critiquing a little bit here. The next guy we're getting into the sole high school player that we're going to talk about in today's podcast. That's Connor Griffin, shortstop, center fielder, right-handed pitcher, out of Mississippi, an LSU commit. Surprise, surprise! One of our top high school players. In fact, many of our top high school players are committed to LSU. Um, they've been really struggling to get talent on campus, so good for them. Um, even if even if the top high school hitters rarely ever reach campus, we'll see what happens with Connor. But Griffin has just tremendous tools, tremendous athleticism. I think you could probably say he's the toolsiest player in the high school class at this point. It's double plus running ability. It's plus arm strength. Um, he's he plays a number of positions and plays them well. He makes a lot of contact offensively. He has raw power. Uh, there's just a lot of tools to fall in love with. This summer, I don't think it was like the greatest offensive summer he could have hoped for. Like actually both of our top high school players, Connor Griffin and Derek Curiel, who again is an LSU commit. Like neither of them kind of went out there and cemented themselves as the top player in the class, which is I think one of the reasons why scouts are a little bit skeptical or down on this high school class but he's into the low 90s on the mound Um, he's got an elite frame um, with plenty of strength currently and and plenty of room to fill out and add even more I think the biggest question for for Connor is like what is the real pure hit tool how good is it really he makes a lot of contact but the swing has some moving parts Um, the approach can get a little bit out of whack although historically he's put up Really good numbers in high school, really good numbers in the travel ball circuit. Um, so he he's kind of interesting. I've never seen the good looks of him. I know Ben has. Um, so it was kind of a, a tougher evaluation for me. Uh, but there's no doubting the tools and the upside. Like, I think he probably has – I talked about Cac Leon having some of the best upside in the class. I would imagine Connor Griffin has some of the best pure upside in the prep class, just given the athletic foundation, given the tool set that he's working with. It, admittedly you're way more familiar with the prep guys than I am so like when doing this initial dive on Griffin I was familiar with him um obviously before just 
with with the notoriety that he has but it's an unreal body at six four two ten. Like you said, he's he's tooled to the max, like plus runner, borderline double plus runner. It's a strong arm in the outfield that plays well. Um, I was per, like plus power. I was particularly intrigued though with what I saw on the mound. Like, I mean, he's he's high waisted at six four, like really good body, as we mentioned. Um, super easy looking delivery, and he's already up to you know, ninety-three, ninety-four. Um, he spun a couple curveballs that I would have graded out as plus. Um, like there's pretty good clay there on the mound. I think with some mechanical tweaks too, like getting a little bit deeper into his backside or like a, a firmer front leg pitching against it, like you can get him up to like a four, a, a five, six, or a seven. Um, but I'm less obviously less sold um, in taking the bat out of his hands. But I do think that his ability on the mound is a really intriguing part of his game to say the least but like you said at the plate the upside is unbelievable without a doubt the most tooled up kid in the prep class um i would have to imagine he'll be the first one off the board or one of them or one of the first guys off the board obviously there's we're still pretty early in this cycle but um serious bat speed plus power can really drive the ball power upside is unbelievable so um another curious two-way guy yeah, as you were talking there, I, I really am kind of struck by the number of, of two-way players in this class. Me and Ben were doing a podcast earlier today about Jupiter, and we, we touched on a number of two-way players who I think you can make cases for pitcher or hitter. And we've already hit on today, uh, or we've already hit on two today in this podcast, and I hadn't really given a lot of thought to Griffin as a pitcher in the long run just because I think in my mind, for whatever reason, I've just just thought of him as like a hitter. But he does have a, a pretty solid operation on the mound. It's it's obvious arm talent. You mentioned the breaking ball that you saw. Like, it wouldn't shock me if he wound up being better as a pitcher. Even though I think that most people probably like him more as a hitter. But the fact that we have this many legitimate two way players is kind of fun. Uh, I think the last class we had that had this many two way guys might have been like all the way back in 2017. Um, with uh, who is the uh, the California kid Reds pitcher now Hunter Green, like that class had a number of two way players in it, um, and it feels like the last few years we haven't had quite as many, but we we certainly have a ton in this draft class and and two in the top ten here who have legitimate upside on the mound uh, and as a hitter. So yeah, I I personally like at least from what I saw, I'm I'm gonna take. I'll, I'll take Griffin, the hitter, just given the upside, the present tools, um, you know, the, the overall profile, but like, like with you, the, the pitching aspect is very intriguing and a nice little like card to have in his back pocket going yeah. forward. Yeah. If nothing else, maybe it's a decent fallback option if, if the hitting doesn't work out for whatever reason. All right, let's move on to Chase Burns. Um, so number nine on this list right here, right-handed pitcher, previously at Tennessee, now moving to the Wake Forest Pitching Lab. Um, one of the hardest throwers in the class. I think we mentioned this last week when we were talking about Brody Brecht. He just has unbelievable pure stuff, super physical, six-foot-four frame. Um, he's got a vicious slider that has both movement and velocity that's impressive. Um, this spring... He started out as a starter and wound up piggybacking with Chase Dolander later in the season. I imagine he's going to be back in a starting role with Wake Forest, kind of forming one of the better uh, pitching staffs in the country, at least on paper. 
Um, just a number of really impressive arms there in Winston-Salem. Burns, I think, like many of the pitchers that we're talking about in this college class, probably has a, a significant amount of reliever risk, um, especially compared to typical college arms in this top 10 range. But it's super physical. It's a lot of pure stuff. He strikes out a ton of batters. Um, and the control is maybe better than I would have expected given his like lengthy arm action and his track record coming out of high school. Like The strikes and the consistency of the release point and the consistency of the breaking ball were always questions that scouts seemed to bring up with Chase Burns when he was in high school. Um, and I think he's probably been better than expected in both of those areas um, so far in his college career. Um, like a sub 8% walk rate um, is definitely better than I would have expected for him coming out of high school for a guy who I don't really view as like a pinpoint command pitcher. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on Burns, Peter? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting argument as the season unfolds and as we get closer to the draft, him versus like a Brody Brecht, assuming that those are the two guys that are still at the top or if, you know, a more slam dunk starter comes along and, and really is a great year. But like you, I mean, it's fastball. He'll pitch with it in the 96 to 99 range. We'll constantly touch 100, 101, 102. Vast majority of the swing and miss with the pitch will come at the top half of the zone, but like it explodes out of his hand. He gets behind the baseball really well. It's got good carry and ride through the strike zone. I really like the mound presence with Burns too. I mean, we saw it in the, especially the super regional at Southern Miss when he got that big strikeout of Slade Wilkes. He came off the mound and did the throat slash. He, and like that type of emotion, like I'm not a huge fan of like the eyewash stuff that everyone kind of knows what it is, but like that, when you get a strikeout in a huge spot and you're walking back to your dugout, like you're not doing anything in concern with the other team when he's doing something like that, that's something that I'm a really big fan of. And he's always in seemingly kill mode on the mound, which I love. Um, and I think I saw one of, if not the best outings or appearances rather of his college career in Omaha, when he went six shutout innings, with nine K's and two hits um, against Stanford to get a really big win for the Vols. But um, it's, it's, he does a, he releases from a high three quarter slot. I, I think that he does a really nice job of staying behind the ball um, with some arm speed. You mentioned the length of the arm stroke. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he is consistently around the strike zone. I'd say it's um, above average control. And then, with the high 80s, low 90s power slider, it's a soul-snatching pitch. Um, the the shape is a little inconsistent, but at its best, it's double plus. Um, I think again, the the I'd say it's at its best shape-wise when it's you know he'll get that two-plane break. It's super sharp mm. at a 61% miss rate in 2023. But um, similar to Brecht, the development of a third pitch, particularly with Burns, likely the changeup that's going to be key with at least me and, and probably others and getting more conviction and being convinced that he is a starter long-term because right now um, by and large, it is a two pitch mix, but I think that the command and control is encouraging. Um, he has flashed a change up in the past. And I think the most underrated aspect is the fact that he is now at wake forest and that pitching factory with coach Muscara. And um, I think that they will, you know, absolutely maximize who Chase Burns is. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go first off the board, at least for, for college pitchers when all is said and done. Yeah, you bring up a lot of really interesting points there with Burns. Uh, I think the the third pitch factor is super key. 
last year he threw 49% of uh, his pitches were fastballs, 44% were sliders, um, less than 5% for any third pitch, whether that was a changeup or a few breaking balls that were labeled a curveball. I don't think he really throws a curveball much of the time. But, yeah, that'd be an important one for me. He is definitely a two-pitch guy. I mean, if you throw 95, 99 consistently and you have a slider that's routinely at like 87 88 with eight inches of horizontal break i don't really fault you for throwing those two pitches a lot i would probably want to throw them a lot too but yeah just to feel more confident in a chance to start in pro ball at the next level having something to give maybe really dangerous left-handed hitters give them something that's soft and going away from their barrel would be encouraging to me um so you don't have any super big issues with the arm action again like Maybe it's the consistency of the breaking ball, but it really doesn't seem like it's affected his control. You mentioned his control being potentially above average. The walk rates that he's posted in both his years would back that up. Am I like too concerned about that that arm stroke for you? Like, do you think it's a case of where just people do it differently, or or do you think there are legitimate concerns to be had there? I mean, I think it's pretty valid, but I think that with Burns, like, what's very encouraging is he's now been able to put together two full seasons of staying healthy and Mm -hmm. like has really not dealt with any injury at this point. Um, He's now through 152 collegiate innings again, though, like it is a little bit unique with that arm action. But um, I mean, I think with his case, like we talk about with some of the interesting operations in the box, like, I mean, if it works, it works. And I know again, going back to the wake forest, um, pitching lab is they're going to get his body moving and and everything moving in, in in as optimal a way as possible so i feel even more confident that the chase burns that we see trot out likely on on the first friday of february or the first friday of college baseball um you know that's that's kind of the 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 maximum version of chase burns so to speak and i i know that as they go through the season they'll they'll continue to tweak stuff and and tighten some things up, but um, I, I kind of feel, pre- I feel pretty confident in him going forward and the mm-hmm. durability. Yeah, no, I, I, this, at this moment, I'm very sad that I'm no longer in the triangle because Wake Forest is absolutely loaded and I'm sure I'm going to be driving down there quite a bit next spring. It would be a little nicer if my drive was shorter, but it'll certainly be worth whatever length uh, the drive is to see Burns, Hartle, uh, Seaver King, um, just so many good players they have on their team. I'm also excited to see where you and Teddy have them ranked coming into the year. Cause I imagine they'll be quite high. Uh, so I'm, that'll be fun. I'm a big Deeks guy, as you know, like, I mean, any given weekend, you're likely going to see, you know, the rotation is going to probably look something like Burns, Hartle, Massey, and then the position guys like Nick Kurtz, Seaver King. Oh I'm yeah. Like, oh yeah. I also didn't mention Nick Kurtz, the number <laughs> one guy on our board. He's also there too. So, <laughs> and there are other like sleeper guys. Like I like Merrick Houston looking at 2025, but like yeah. bottom line is they're going to be right back in the college world series, potential national championship discussion. So um, any weekend is appointment television or appointment <laughs> attendance in, in Winston-Salem. All right. Well, I think those are all my thoughts on Burns. Let's move on to our final player here. And maybe the most, uh, I mean, it makes sense. We get further down the list. The players are going to increasingly have less notoriety or or decreasingly have notoriety, um, depending on, on how the best way to phrase that is. But Mike Sirota, outfitter at Northeastern, a, a pretty sneaky, well-rounded 
tool set here with Sirota. I mean, it's a chance for five tools across the board. He's slowly developed a, a really strong track record of hitting both with metal with Northeastern and in the Cape Cod League. Um, he's coming off of a career year where he hit 346, 472, 678. He had 18 home runs, which is a pretty sizable jump from the four he had in 2022. Um, I feel like everyone in college baseball had career years and home runs last year, but I mean, the fact that he did it is nice. Uh, walks uh, a ton, 16.6% of the time, struck out 18.5% of the time. So good rates there. Um, solid athlete, solid frame. He's a runner. He plays an up the middle defensive position. He's got, I mean, solid power speed combination. Is Mike Sirota a guy that maybe we should be thinking about higher up on boards here, Peter? Because I think one of the themes of really these first two podcasts where we've talked about a lot of these players is there are a lot of clear and obvious warts. I don't see many obvious warts with Sirota, and if there are any that you're aware of, let me know what they are. So I have like somewhat of a hot take, maybe lukewarm. I think that he, in my mind, is way closer to Advanced Honeycut than yeah. probably people realize, and. Hmm. I mean, personally, just from what I've seen on the Cape at Northeastern, I mean, I, it's crazy to say, but I'd, I'd probably take Sirota over Honeycutt. Like, mm -hmm. it is legit five-tool upside, like you said, super wiry, athletic, and projectable frame at 6'3", 187. Like, you look at him, and he's very athletic-looking, but there's also clearly room to add 10, 15 pounds of good weight and not take away from any of the speed that, that is very effective as well. Um, it's an excellent wood bat track record. He hit 340 on the Cape in the summer of 2022, hit 304 in a little bit more of a limited sample this year. Um, he saw an uptick in power from last spring, which I thought was really encouraging in a career year across the board with career best and batting averaging 346, um, 18 home runs, absolutely dwarfed the total of four from the from his freshman <laughs> year. 54 RBIs, 19 stolen bases. K to walk was really good. Like I think this year um, is going to be the best. I, I, like, I think it's going to even exceed production wise what he did last year, which is a little, it, it, the numbers are going to be really gaudy. I think there's definitely 20 home run, 20 stolen base upside. Um, without a doubt, collegiately, the approach is outstanding. He's, he picks up spin really well, hardly chases, um, really stays within the strike zone. He's a plus runner. The athleticism really plays in center field where the instincts and baseball sense are also very advanced. He's got a great quick first step. He's comfortable coming in or going back in the baseball. Tons of range in either gap. And he's got an above average throwing arm. And so, I mean, I think the speed, athleticism, and instincts were enough to have him stick in center field long term. But the arm is obviously – the arm plays from there as well. So he's a slam dunk to stick at a premium position – um, he's comfortable spraying the baseball to all fields. And I think what like in somewhat of a baseball cliche, but I think here it's relevant. Like he hits the pitch where it's thrown. Like he's not trying to do too much with it. Hmm. Um, he's not going to get pull happy. He's not going to like, I mean, he'll just hit it wherever it's thrown. He's got double plus hand speed. The barrel really explodes through the strike zone. There's not a ton I'd say to clean up in the operation. Like, I mean, it, it's clear having hearing me talk about him that I'm super, super bullish <laughs> on him. Like it's going to be like having a mid major guy go in like the top five and even in this range in the top 10 is, 
um, pretty unique. But I think that Sirota, I mean, with what I think he's going to do and the type mm. of player I think he is, um, he's going to thrust himself into that conversation. And I like, again, personally, I'd probably take him over Vance Honeycutt. I know the the upside with Honeycutt is unbelievable, and he's an excellent player. But um, I'm I'm that big a fan of Sirota. Yeah, I mean, I'm slowly becoming one as you talk, just listening to you break him down, Peter. And and I wonder how much of it is just he's not playing at a program that's as prominent. He's not playing in a conference that's as prominent as North Carolina and the ACC. I wonder if it's as simple as that. I mean, just kind of diving into the numbers with Sroda, I think you could, on the surface, maybe pick some nits with the fact that he hasn't seen a ton of big velocity uh, with Northeastern. I think the average fastball velocity he's faced in his college career there is is right around 88, 89 miles per hour. Not a huge sample against 92 plus fastball velocity, but this is why I think the Cape is going to be really important for him. And the fact that he performed there is so, so good for the profile overall is he actually did get to face a sizable sample of 92 plus with a wood bat. The production against that was solid. If you're looking at all of his 92 plus sample that we have in college he's hit 292 393 583 so that's a 976 ops um the miss rates and the chase rates are still both extremely respectable it's three home runs three doubles um so the numbers are good against the velocity he's seen he's just maybe not seen the quantity that you would get if you were playing in the acc or you're playing in the sec and we have seen a lot of productive mid-major players who go early on the draft. I mean, Nolan Shanwell is the most obvious example. Colton Kowser is another one. Chase DeLauder, who has uh, been looking really good in the Arizona Fall League. Like, these guys aren't unheard of, and it seems like Sirota checks the boxes in terms of performance, which you have to if you're a mid-major player. You, you have to have big numbers to come out this early. He has that box checked. He has the wood bat track record. He's got tools. It sounds like there's still projection to the frame, too. So there's just, like, a lot of traits to like about Sirota and it wouldn't surprise me if when we updated our our list next that he was he was ranked a little higher than where he is now because I'm really becoming a fan and I'm excited to watch more of him and if your prediction is correct Peter that he's going to come out next year and put even godier numbers up man I can't wait yeah I'll absolutely put my money on him going 2020 home runs and stolen bases for sure Mm. um and like you said like right now at presently like the hit tools plus Power is probably closer to average or a tick above, but it, he's a plus runner, plus defender, um, plus athlete. And I think another, like, it's an intangible with Sirota, but I think it helps tie the overall profile together. And is the cherry on top is his loyalty to Northeastern, especially in the age of NIL and other opportunities. Like, he had opportunities, without a doubt, to go to mm-hmm. an SEC school or a major Power Five program and go that NIL route. But he has stayed loyal to the soil um, and, and Coach Glavin and hasn't even, you know, thought about transferring or leaving. And I think that the, the makeup really ties it all together. He's that Northeast tough baseball rat, pretty type of player. Um, and again, I like when trying to poke holes, not really trying to poke holes, but when looking for like a red flag in his game, there isn't a glaring one, both getting a ton of in-person looks at him and then diving deeper into the video. Like, I think if you're the concerns or questions about the impact, like you look at the body and you can add again, as, as we reference 
10 or so pounds and, and kind of maximize that power potential. So he's both great clay and has an excellent track record. Like uh, I've definite personal cheese ball for me. I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, he might be exiting the, the realm of cheese ball territory, but your, your confidence in him <laughs> is noted. You can drive the Mike Sirota bandwagon. I will hopefully ju- jump on that train along with you. And another, I think point in his favor maybe is the fact that, out of high school, none other than the Los Angeles Dodgers drafted him in the 16th round. So fa- the fact that a team like that wanted in on him in high school and he's done what he's done in college almost makes me even more excited. So Mike Sirota, maybe it's funny. We've, we talked about this class, how maybe we're a little bit down on it. There are a lot of players with warts. I feel like the, the lowest ranked player we've talked about is the the one player that we've been most glowing about. And, and I don't know if that's a fact about like maybe he's ranked too low or... I think it's natural that as you work down a board, you talk about what a player can do well. And at the top, you're really trying to nitpick. I think it probably could be a combination of both. Um, but we're really not that far down the board. And, and we, we struggled to come up with something to really give us pause with Sirota. So I'm on board with that one too. Uh, it feels like he's a great player to end this um, episode with. Um, and yeah, Also I'm, the great nephew of Whitey Ford. There you go. See, even more. Like we're, next next week, we're gonna have a n- number of other fun <laughs> facts as to why we should be more on Mike Soroka. Maybe we'll look at his um, his player page on Northeastern's website and find that he's like a big Office fan, or he also owns a Nintendo Switch, and then we'll be even more. On <laughs> yeah, I'll have uh, to look at what his favorite pregame meal is if it's something weird. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll tone it down. If he doesn't like Jake Cole, then we can drop him a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got me fired up, Peter. I'm ready to watch college baseball. I'm ready to see these players dig into them more. And just, just these podcasts are are a good thing. I'm glad we're doing them, but it's making me really want the college season to be here much sooner than typically happens. It's only October. <laughs> yeah. No, you and me both. Like it's got me juiced up and and really fired up. Like you said, we're still a little bit off from it starting, but like again, mm. as we you know, the weeks go by quick and the months will go by even faster, especially once you get into the holidays. And then once guys are back from, from Christmas break and holiday break, they it's full bore, it's full practice. And that's when you can really start getting excited. And especially for next week too, it'll kind of be the inverse of what we did this week. I think it'll be either three or four prep guys and, and a lone college player. So oh, no. Um, I'm ex- I'm excited for it. <laughs> well, maybe um, maybe keep your expectations in hand a little bit, but uh, no, <laughs> no there there's still some fun players to talk through. Um, but yeah, any, anything you want to end on and close here, Peter, unrelated to these players? Anything you want to uh, promote or, or tease for listeners that you're working on, or, or any final comments before we get out of here? Are you are you gonna watch? I know as we record this, it's a couple hours before Braves Phillies, and I'm I'm excited for Spencer Strider uh, against Bryce Harper. I think that'll be a fun matchup. So as you guys listen to this, maybe maybe the series will be over. But as you're listening to it, I'm very very much anticipating that game. Yeah, as you as you were saying, like it, when you're listening to this, the series could be over. I think they're gonna send it back to Atlanta for Game Five. I like, you know, it's hard to bet against Spencer Strider and the Braves mm-hmm. offense. Hey, they've been pretty quiet so far. They need yeah. to wake up. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I, with that being said, Harper's probably going to hit another like three-run absolute <laughs> tank in my face. But um, <laughs> no, I for another freshman spotlight again. As you're listening to this, will be out. It'll be on Dallas Baptist right-hander James Elwanger. Very exciting player. He'll contribute right away for the Patriots. And then other stuff I'm working on, and we're all working on, is the we're 
we have entered handbook season at, yeah. at baseball America. Peter, your and, first handbook season. It's a it's an exciting <laughs> yeah. time. You should, we should give like plaques for that or something. Cause it's, <laughs> I, I wouldn't turn it down, but <laughs> grinded my way through the Marlin system. And it's, a, it's an exciting one just as all these, all these farm systems are. So give the at top tens a read. The NL ones will be coming out um, first. And then I'd say to get your full fix, there's no other way to do it than actually buying the handbook. I know even before BA, I was buying the handbook and I would immerse myself in all these systems. You'll get all the top 30s, in-depth scouting reports, all the numbers you'll want. Like it's got everything in there. So yeah, um, I think that's the best route to take when, when, if you want to dive headfirst. Yeah. And if you guys, um, if you guys order directly through us, I know in the past few years, I imagine it'll be the case this year as well. You, you tend to get it quicker if you order through us. So definitely check that out. If it's something that you are looking forward to, go ahead and pre-order that. Um, and it's going to be better next year, the, the prospect handbook, you, you get something you've never gotten before. And that is a, a prospect chapter written by the great Peter Flaherty. So um, we're always increasing. <laughs> we'll see the, how it actually turns out, but uh, we're always yeah. increasing the value of the book. Yeah, that's coming. I've got reports on Jupiter standouts from last week. So if you guys want to get even further into the nitty gritty of the draft class and maybe focus on some high school players, uh, there are a bunch of reports on that. I can finally say that I've written something on the site. It feels like the last few weeks, Peter has been carrying that load for us. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I've got something up there if you guys want to check that out as well. Um, but otherwise, we just appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for supporting Baseball America and really allowing us to do what we do. Um, so thank you guys. And for Peter, I'm, I'm Carlos. We'll see you next time on the Draft Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.